Welcome to Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. What does it take to lead yourself and your teams to high performance with ease? Today, you'll discover simple practices that separate exceptional leaders from the rest. Now, here is your host, Nicole Bendeley. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to Leading on Purpose. I'm Nicole Bendeley. And today is the last podcast before the Christmas holidays. I can't believe it. It is, it's been the longest year ever, but um, I can't believe we're already at the holidays. And so I want to start by wishing you all a happy, healthy, and safe holiday season. Um, especially want to wish our essential workers who have put themselves on the line and their families really, and have made so many sacrifices for all of us this year. Um, I guess Dan and I will introduce in a little bit, wish you all and your families the very, very best. And as we approach the new year, most of us are likely ecstatic, absolutely ecstatic to say goodbye to 2020. But 2020 also brings a number of lessons, including leadership lessons that will really be important for us to not only remember, but take hold of and and apply next year and the years to come. And one of the many things this past year has made clear is that the world of work has been forever changed. And it is especially evident in the way leaders must now lead if they truly want the best from their people and for their people. You know, traits like empathy and vulnerability and curiosity and risk-taking, these have always been important traits, right? Traits that Dan and I have always encouraged the organizations that we work with to prioritize. But now they're no longer just important. They're table stakes, thanks to 2020, right? They are non-negotiable for leaders and organizations who truly want their teams to perform at their very best. And so over this past year, through my work with teams and research with teams and interviewing thought leaders like like my guest Dan today, it's become abundantly clear that those teams that have been able to thrive more than struggle this year were teams that have been led by leaders who care, by leaders who care about their people and prioritize the well-being of their people in every way through every interaction. So today, I am thrilled to welcome best-selling author Dan Pontefract, who will be sharing strategies on how to become a leader who truly matters. So let me tell you a little bit about Dan. I'm just, I've been following Dan's work um, for quite a while now. And Dan is the founder and CEO of the Pontefract Group, a firm that improves the state of leadership and organizational culture. He is the best-selling author of four four books. The book that we're going to dive into today, Lead, Care, Win, Open to Think, The Purpose Effect, and Flat Army. And I remember Flat Army. That was the the first book of yours that, that I picked up, Dan. Dan is a renowned speaker, and he's presented at four different TED events and also writes for Forbes and Harvard Business Review. Dan is an adjunct professor at the University of Victoria Gustafson School of Business and has garnered more than 20 industry awards over his career. His third book, Open to Think, is the 2019 Abstract International Book of the Year winner and the 2019 Axiom Business Book Awards Silver Medal winner in the leadership category. 
and Dan and his wife, Denise, live in Victoria, Canada. So on the other side of the country from me, uh, we're still experiencing the same pandemic, though. And uh, they live with their three kids in Victoria. So welcome, Dan. I am thrilled to have you. Nicole, the thrill's mine. Thank you so much for the invite. Uh, two peas in a pod. I can't wait to uh, discuss where we think leadership is and ought to go to over the next few minutes or so. Absolutely. And I think this is one of these topics that it's okay for us to profusely agree with one another. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bring it on. Um, so tell, I'm curious, I'm curious, Dan, tell us a little bit about your journey, your purpose, right? What, what I know one of your lessons that we're going to be talking about is, is play for meaning. So hmm. what's meaningful to you in the work that you do and how did you discover it? Wow, we've got six hours for this yeah, podcast. Yeah, that's right? absolutely that right. Yeah. Okay, I feel like a little <laughs> bit of a psychology couch here. Where's Freud? Uh, well, in essence, I suppose, uh, like the enigmatic uh, lead singer of the Tragically Hip used to say, Gore Downey, uh, we're all on our uh, journey and pathway to the waterfall. And it's, it's sort of a First Nations take on, on our life. It's our journey, it meanders, and how we choose uh, to take that meandering path to the waterfall is up to us. Um, and so, uh, for me, I, I guess I've always felt as though I, I should be or want to be helping others. And so, even early on as a kid, um, you know, I'm talking sort of grade four, five, six, I would, I would find sort of the, the less fortunate kid, if you will, at school, and I'd, I'd walk th- them home. Uh, it would meander my path towards their their household just to, I, I suppose, provide a little bit of a, a bent ear, but also I'm curious. So I just wanted to know a little bit more about this character that might not have a lot of friends or you know, might be a little bit different, if you will, than the cool kids. Uh, I used air quotes there for those that are wondering right. uh, on the audio. <laughs> Uh, and and so just generally speaking, I thought really early on as a as a kid, I was like, hmm, maybe I could learn from others, maybe I can help others. What could I do? Um, I had a terrible injury when I was playing some pretty high up soccer as a kid in southern Ontario, uh, and that that horrific kind of injury took me into a physiotherapist uh, room five days a week uh, to repair wow. a knee and a leg that was. Uh, a pretty good leg in the sport of soccer at the time. Uh, And so I started listening to these conversations as a 16-year-old of these men and women who are helping others sort of get back to, you know, their former self. And and so at that point, I said, oh, I'm going to be a doctor or I'm going to be a physio. Mm. Like, that's that's where I want to be. But then as, you know, it got to university and getting into universities and, you know, getting into one where, yeah, let's do pre-med. That sounds about right. I'm going to go be a doctor. It, it sort of staunchly hit me that maybe, uh, although I, healthcare workers and the like, uh, have a very noble profession and they help others uh, do get back to a sense of worth, self, uh, and physical ability, I thought maybe there's another dimension to explore, which was how do you find a way in which to get people to excel on their current state to something perhaps better, different, more fill in the blank. And so I went into the guidance counselor's office at university <laughs> and I said, look, I, I don't want to, this before I started university, by the way. So this is August oh, okay. 1990. So dating myself, but there we go. And uh, I said, look, um, I don't think this is for me, this whole 
medicine thing, <laughs> this <laughs> physical <laughs> wellness thing. And uh, the woman looked at me with disdain, said, well, you are not dropping out of this. I said, what? Yes, yes, I am. I'm not, I don't want, what, what, else, what else could I do? And I'm trying to have a conversation with this girl. Right. Well, she looks at my marks, Nicole. She says, well, you're pretty smart, so let's put you in engineering. I'm like, I am not going uh, no. in engineering. That, that is not me. <laughs> I do not. Now, again, I'm 19, just right. turned 19. Right? Oh, my God. And then I said, well, you must have education here, don't you? Like, do you have an education degree? Like, I, maybe I could be a teacher. Yeah. And she looked at me and said, you will not be a teacher. Oh that is God. beneath you. Oh, my God. And right there, I said, Nicole, I said, okay, then. I'll make this a test. I'm going to go become a teacher because in that sort of 30 minute conversation, which trend, oh trans, uh, transferred me to a world of where I am today, in essence, uh, wow. it became me being a high school teacher. Then it became me being in higher ed. And then it became me being a chief learning officer. And then that became me being an author. That became me being today, almost a 50 year old uh, looking back saying, yeah, I've spent the last 30 years with, with that notion of how I have tried to help people, mm-hmm. sometimes successful, sometimes not. But you used the word purpose earlier. And when I was transferring from one organization to another in the uh, summer of 2008, um, I came up with what I, I call now a purpose statement, but at the time it wasn't really called it. I didn't know what to call it. So right. I, was in, I was based in Vancouver, I was climbing up and down Gross Mountain which is a 1.8 kilometer, basically, uh, you know, <laughs> 90 degree <laughs> up uh, a mountain uh, climb. And um, I was kind of noodling words in my head, like, I need something that's going to help me get to the to the next organization, some clarity. And so the purpose statement that basically I now call a purpose statement, it was as follows, and, and I still use it every day. Um, it goes as follows. We're not here to see through each other. We're here to see each other through. Oh, wow. And so that was a culmination of the previous, uh, roughly, I would say, 20 years. Wow. And that's, that's carried me for the last 10 years as well. And it will carry me till I end up at that waterfall. Wow. We are not here to see through each other. We are here to see each other through. That's powerful. I love that. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. That's amazing. And so I'm curious, with with 2020, Dan... What has, has your experiences through this year taught you about leadership? Well, where to start? Um, there's, a, there's a bunch of dimensions, I suspect, that we probably need to get into. Uh, the first, in no particular order, but uh, in, in the first would be that sense of... Um, fully understanding, recognizing, and empathizing with the plight of others. Mm-hmm. And when I say the plight of others, I mean not just your team. You know, we've, we've all been sent home, uh, most of us, and we're working from home and we're on WebEx and Zoom and Google Meet and Skype and, you know, fill in the blank. Everyone's that was in a kind of office job uh, is, is working from home. But but the plight extends, and this is where I think humanity needs to recognize uh, that we are more than just our team and our organization. Mm-hmm. So when I wake up every day and I go down to the kitchen 
And then I think about the food in which I eat. Where did that come from? That comes from essential workers and frontline workers who are still picking berries, uh, making the coffee and the beans. Uh, they're plucking the eggs. So and, and so, you know, you start there and just say, okay, the food industry, uh, the delivery industry, the supply chain industry, just there. So how are they feeling? How are they dealing with the fact that COVID is running through meat packing plants and mm. food packing plants and so forth? Then, you know, I think about uh, three of my friends are nurses. Uh, and my neighbor across the street is a doctor. And, and I think about the, the frontline uh, healthcare workers, all of them. Yeah. I mean, they're all frontline. Yeah. So, so if we're, if we're not um, recognizing, sympathizing, empathizing with the plight of humanity right now, um, then kind of shame on us mm -hmm. as pre secure, safe uh, leaders of self and leaders of others who have just been told to work from home and please don't, you know, invite your family over for Hanukkah or Christmas or Ramadan uh, or whatever. And don't, you know, be idiots. And when you're going out to those frontline places, don't wear, don't not wear a mask, if you will, right? Like, right. that's that's what I think we need to, to get grips with is, is empathy. Empathy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, we're all experiencing the, the same pandemic, but we're each experiencing it very differently. We all have very different experiences. And we don't know unless we intentionally try to understand um, the, those experiences and, and to try and put yourself in their shoes. Um, even just as simple as, you know, what's going on in their lives at the end of the day. Not only are, are people putting their themselves on the front line, but their families, who are they also caring for mm -hmm. um, at the end of the day, whenever that day ends. And so um, you're absolutely, absolutely right. Recognizing and understanding the plight of others. It's, it's so essential. And I think some of that theme really comes through in your book, Dan, Lead, Care, Win, How to Become a Leader Who Matters. And I have to tell you that um, this is one of the books that will be, um, should be on every leader's desk, in, especially in 2021. Um, I have, you can't see me people, but I've dog-eared, I've, I've marked it up, I've, right, and, and I'm in this business and, I, and I'm learning so much from Dan. Um, so I highly recommend it. And where I'd like to start, because when we come back from break, we're going to dive into a few of the lessons because there are nine super practical lessons in this book. But we talk about you in, in your in the, the title of the book, right? Lead, Care, Win, How to Become a Leader Who Matters. So how do you define a leader who matters? What, is that, what does that look like, a leader who matters? And then we'll jump into some more details. Sure. After. Well, uh, the title of the book is sort of the... I like book titles that have hidden meanings that the reader has to sort of investigate and come to their conclusions as to why the book is titled that way. And so, for example, damn, you put the word win, like, yeah. is this what it's all about? Is it about winning? And so the hidden trick question and answer out of the book title is actually to work backwards. So what I argue is that, uh, we as leaders of others in particular to begin with, if we win the hearts and minds mm. 
of our people by caring, we have demonstrated leadership. Oh, okay. I love that. Right. And so to ourselves, if we leaders of self want to win, we have to care about others as we lead ourselves. Mm-hmm. So the book is, um, you write these nine kind of super practical lessons and behaviors applicable to both if you want to win as a leader of self through the caring of others and how you portray yourself, how you want to be known when you leave a room, so to say, that's your leadership style. And if you're leading others to win the hearts and minds of those that you serve, you must demonstrate a higher form of care toward them in order for you to be viewed as that type of leader. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the joke is, of course, uh, the book could have been, should have been called uh, Lead Scare Win. Just put an <laughs> S at the beginning of care because that's what's going on most of the time in leadership. They're just scaring people that out. They're like, yeah, that's how we win. We grind right. them. Yeah. Right. And, and I find too, you know, um, I think I've said this before on this, on the show is that that scare comes from, you know, leaders growing up in cultures where they are taught to put, to arm themselves, right. To arm themselves, protect themselves because you cannot be wrong. You cannot show fear. You cannot show weakness. The leader's always right, et cetera, et cetera. And so, so many leaders, that I work with in healthcare, for example, right, which has a a very traditional hierarchical culture where leaders have to learn how to be vulnerable, how to show care in a way other than solving and fixing problems for other people, right, Um, as the leader. And so it, that scare word also, it's very scary, for many leaders to lean into that caring for others realm and caring for self, because oftentimes they they don't think about themselves either um, and what they need. So I'm excited to explore this all with you, Dan, when we come right back. So tune in, we'll take a quick break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Leading a team today can be hard, but it doesn't have to be a struggle. With Kenco's self-paced e-course, Leading High Performance Teams, you'll gain everything you need to build the cohesion, communication, and engagement needed for your team to thrive. Right now, save 30% off the e-course. Plus, Nicole, host of Leading on Purpose, is including two coaching sessions with her at no extra charge. Use promo code VA30 when you visit kand.co slash ecourse. That's promo code VA30. Would you like a complimentary strategy session with Leading on Purpose host Nicole Bendeley? Nicole and her team have been making it possible for leaders to achieve exceptional results with ease for over 40 years. Nicole will help you to discover what's getting in your team's way from even better results and will share with you the simple practices that will make a big difference to your performance and theirs. Visit kand.co slash strategy and book your session with Nicole today. That's kand.co slash strategy. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com 
You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Find out more about Nicole and her company, K&Co, and check out her suite of leadership tools and resources at kand.co. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. All right, welcome back. So before we dive into these, um, some of these lessons that Dan shares in his book, I really encourage you to check it out at leadcarewin.com and um, and get yourself a copy before the new year because you're going to want this um, as you kick your new year off, that's for sure. So, so Dan, let's jump in. And I'd love to start, if it's okay with you, with the one of the first with the first lessons, which is be relatable. Um, and you share, and this is something that really resonated with me. You share in this first lesson that leaders are traditionally known as being in the people business, but what they're really in is the relationship business. You know, um, one of the things that uh, I've loathed over the years in which I was, you know, a relatively high-ranking uh, executive of learning leadership culture engagement uh, in big companies like SAP and TELUS, a Canadian uh, national telecommunications firm, um, is when <laughs> is when leaders would say publicly or to their team in kind of private sessions, you know. Employees are our most important asset. Mm. It, it kind of irked me, uh, and, it, and maybe it shouldn't have, but it did because we're calling people assets. assets. Yeah. You know, a computer like a is an asset. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, you know, the microphones in the shop are assets. Uh, the trucks on the road are assets, not people. Now, I know the intention. Right. But it was just flawed. So then you extend that when, when leaders think of people as assets and, and then they sort of make this connection, well, that must mean I'm in the people business. Well, that means you're in the computer business or the truck business or the asset business, right? That's not the business you're in. Right. The business is uh, you inculcating uh, a relationship, a rapport, a style of, of leadership, if you will, with, with those people. But your job is to build the behaviors that allow the relationship to blossom. Now that can be the one-on-one relationship, of course, that can be the team relationship, that could be the organizational culture, that could be the relationship with the supply chain, with the partners, with the customers for the Lord's sake, Mm -hmm. right? So that's where I need people to be relatable as the first lesson indicates. To be relatable is to first say, well, I'm a human being, I have flaws, Right. Let's start there. Uh, uh, we're all human beings, and I want to. I have fears. I don't like heights. I like to decorate. Uh, I shop for my wife Denise. Um, I I I really love strategy games. Like there's just a bunch of things mm-hmm. that are about mm-hmm. Dan, and I would bring right. those things into the workplace, and I would like. But then in return, reciprocity wise, I am trying to nurture the relationship by asking those questions of others. Yeah. What are your kids' names? What are your likes? Oh, you went to the ballet this weekend. How was it? Was Barishnikov there? Like, yeah. like just <laughs> real human being, yeah. you know, relationship type questions and, and, and factors there. Start there. Start there. It's about honestly getting to know people outside of the hats we wear at work, right? Truly, genuinely 
we show we care when we show a genuine interest in in a person, right? Oh. And their lives, right? And now more than ever, um, people want to be seen and understood and appreciated for the lives they have and the great effort it takes right now to get the work done, right? And unless we know each other, we won't be able to understand that. One of the things I'm really proud of at the tenure at TELUS, um, and incidentally, 10 years at TELUS, tenure and tenure, interesting, never never thought of that before. Anyway, um, was when I arrived, the employee engagement score, which for those that might know, is sort of a twice a year, sometimes it's monthly or once a year, but it's an indicator of how motivated, how, how engaged, how, um, how the employee feels about their place of work, their role, their boss, their team, their organization, et cetera. Right? Okay. So it wasn't so good. It was just above 50% at TELUS mm-hmm. when I joined in 2008. And... Um, by the time I left the chief learning officer role about five, six years later, we had got it up to 87%. Now it's not Dan by any stretch, it's a team of people that are working on this, but here's, here's one of the things that we did do. Um, we, we rolled out an enterprise-wide leadership philosophy hmm. and literally called it the TELUS leadership philosophy. It wasn't um, a step-by-step, this is how you must lead. It was a philosophy of relationship building of involvement, of community, of collaboration. And the example I want to share is something um, that we took from a prof uh, at INSEAD and kind of restructured it a little bit and and deployed it across the organization. And the process is called FAIR process. Hmm. And FAIR process was this, we call it the 5E behavior model, essentially. The five E's are you engage with others first, build relationships, you know, get to know them. You, uh, uh, engage, you explore options. What is it that we might do? And th- those are the first two E's, engage, explore. explore. Then you execute. You execute on the deliverable, the team goal, the whatever, right? You evaluate um, how, how you did. And so essentially the long-winded way of saying yeah. is that we tried to get leaders to re-engineer their, their model. Typically, leaders bark orders. Typically, they don't involve people. Typically, they're not collaborating. But we had to re-engineer leaders' mindset to say, we engage and explore first. First. Do that. Yeah, not after the fact. And you'll see your rapport build. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And when that's connected to a meaningful purpose, right, for that as to why we're doing this together, right, and how this is going to make a difference in our relationships to others, those that we serve as well can be, I'm sure, really powerful. And you share in the um, relatable lesson, and this, I loved this story, in part because of the timing of it, about the founder of Zoom. And it took my breath away a little bit in a good way, because I jumped to conclusions about tech companies, right, as you know, this company that's been booming through COVID, that they must have a bunch of programmers spitting out code all, you know, 24-7, et cetera. But that's just not the, the case. So would you share the story about the founder? I, uh, yes. Uh, Eric Wan, such a gentleman, um, was an individual who had immigrated from China to essentially America and then ended up in the Valley and then glommed on to Cisco. And um, that was 
But before he got to Cisco, he had, with a bunch of team members, basically invented WebEx. Hmm. And so Cisco bought WebEx. And so Eric and the team end up at Cisco. Now, say what you will about Cisco and other high-tech companies that acquire uh, you know, younger siblings, if you will. Uh, sometimes the culture gets lost in those acquisitions, mm-hmm. if not uh, put out by flour and sawdust. Right, right. Extin- <laughs> immediately extinguished. extinguished. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so Eric is getting frustrated because he's he's trying to basically take his culture, which we'll get to, and and in inflict that, if you will, uh, infect even Cisco with the great culture that that was WebEx and that team. John Chambers and many of the executives didn't quite really, at Cisco, did not want to hear of this. They mm-hmm. didn't want Eric's idea of, of this is where we should be going. This We need to create, we need to, let's do better. And so um, inevitably, Eric, like many of us should be doing, have to look in the mirror and say, well, what, what's my purpose? Why am I here? Do I feel valued? Or should I have the gumption and the courage and the bravery to step up and, and just say, no, you know what? This isn't for me. Good for you, but I'm moving on to something else. And so Eric leaves Cisco and immediately starts Zoom hmm. about 10 years ago, roughly speaking. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And, and so Eric is just, you know, noodling this new startup again, just over time, building, 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 building. And his one word uh, value. They have, you know how companies have values and they have mm-hmm. mission statements, et cetera? Varric has one. And so when I got to know him, I got to meet him several times and then ultimately said, could you, can I interview you specifically for the book? He's like, yes. And I didn't even know this part of the story. So we did somehow get into the conversation about values. And he's like, oh yeah, we have a one word value, Dan. And I said, what is it? <laughs> he said, it's care. Wow. And I had not come up with the book title yet. So, but that certainly stuck with me. It's like, Dan, you just have to care. You have to care about your people, you have to care about your customers, you have to care about the product, you have to care about society, the environment. Like it was, it was just um, wow. so affirming, but also so necessary mm-hmm. to hear him say that. Because again, to your point, Nicole, about, you know, not just high tech, but leaders in general, to have that one word value be emitted over a Zoom call, of course. We were on Zoom. Right. I just, I broke down. I was like, oh, you don't know how much that means to me, Eric. That is amazing. It is. It it took my breath away. I wasn't expecting it in the, you know, to come through the, in that way in the story. And uh, it, was, it was really, really powerful. And to have that as a value and to, on top of that, that's probably the reason for the immense success is that, that, connection to that meaningful, meaningful value that makes a difference in shareholders as much as, as much as the people um, in the team. So I love, love, love that story. Um, So I'm curious, Dan, um, there was another element that really, well, all of your lessons resonated but I'm curious about the remaining curious one right now and would love to, to, to dig into that one a little bit because, you know, this importance of lifelong learning that, that you speak to and how, you know, before I, I read a particular passage in your book, I, I can, I'm a lifelong learner. I'm in the business of learning. Uh, no, <laughs> I am not intentionally 
carving out time and learning in a deep way that that causes me to pause and reflect on what does this mean to me? How, you know, what can I do with this? Or how can I help others with this? Or how is this going to change how I, I, I am or, right. And, and so it was a wake up call for me, right. That, that, well, well, you get her, you know, you're not that much of a lifelong learner. You like to teach, that's for sure, but you need to do better at learning. So, why is this so important for leaders? And what are a couple of things that leaders can do to to remain curious and and spark that in those they lead as well? Well, uh, first of all, I must say uh, kudos to that self reflection exercise as well. I mean, the book is set up to do that. Each chapter, each lesson has the first bit that that basically asks the existential questions: Are you this or that? In this case, of remaining curious. It's so how much are you learning? How do you intentionally learn? Do you set time aside? How's your network? Are you teaching others? Uh, do you just show up and sit in the class, you know, arms right. folded, harumph, and then you leave and that's it. It was Check. a great cocktail. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Had a great glass of wine. The fog and dolls was fantastic. <laughs> uh, and if, whether you're leader of self or leader of others, it's really important for me. And I see this all the time. Um, when you, when you ascend to a leadership role, there is somehow something gets, um, there's, a, there's a transmission error as if, okay, now I've made director or now I've made VP. <sighs> yeah, I am the smartest person in the room. Right. Yeah, this is fantastic. But again, as I, I think I say in this particular chapter, if, if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> mm-hmm. So y- your goal is to in the remain curious quotient is to sort of ask yourself what 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 am i doing in my time to make sure that i can lead off a day or a meeting or a quarter with learning what am i doing to purposefully engage with my network to reconnect perhaps with old uh, contacts that I, I i know they've moved on but gosh, they probably have something I could learn from. Or to ask you, Nicole, Nicole, could you introduce me to someone in your network Hmm. that you might see as a fit for me? And I can do the same. Networks are our net worth often. So how are we engaging others to learn from that? So I think sometimes leaders, again, use the word vulnerability earlier, and I love it. You're going to be vulnerable to say, I don't know, Mm -hmm. but how might I be additive in my network and my competence, my intellect, my knowledge, et cetera? Um, a kind of another strategy or tip is to what I call reinforce. And so when we, when we do do something that is a learning intervention, a moment, a something, a book, you know, a Ted talk, uh, a two day course, like whatever it is, what are you doing to summarize the, the key points that you want to make sure are reinforced into your behavior change for tomorrow and the next day and the mm-hmm. next month and the next year, like too often, I, I think I called it spray and pray. We, 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 we get sprayed something and we pray it sticks. That's, right. That is not a behavior to model. So, I mean, I, I, I have uh, my shining star in all this is Malala, Malala Yousafzai. And mm-hmm. if a, if a woman in Pakistan who mm-hmm. is pushing for the rights of women to learn as a teenager yeah. literally takes a bullet to the head from the Taliban yeah. in the pursuit of that curiosity. And then this year graduates from Oxford. 
Unbelievable. If, if Malala can do that, yeah. surely you can surely. learn and, be, and remain curious. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting that you share that. It reminds me of, um, uh, I had seen um, uh, a keynote a while ago, and they shared this example of vulnerability. And um, they had, had shared a, a stage with the Dalai Lama, and somebody asked the Dalai Lama a question. And the Dalai Lama paused and reflected for a few seconds and looked back at the person who asked the question and said, I don't know. What do you think? Right? And if that beautiful, so simple, right? But we make it so much harder for some reason to simply say, I don't know. What do you think? Right? And that's just, it's, it's simple yet powerful. Um, And we just need to get out of our own way um, to, to, to do that more often. Um, I'm, I'm wondering too, with remaining curious, does that apply to, because um, I'm thinking about a little bit about innovative thinking, and does that apply to challenging the status quo and asking questions, you know, does, is this really, we've been doing this for 10 years, but is, should we look at it differently? Like, does it apply to challenging assumptions and the status quo around how we work? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it goes without saying that we can get stuck in the rut of uh, normality or tried and true status quo, you know, we've done this, why change? And, and I've always been the uproot, the thinking type of uh, individual. And so for certain, Nicole, if what leaders need to do to help inculcate that sense of curiosity with the team is to often come to the meeting, to the whatever, something and say, should we be doing it this way? Do you guys have any other ideas? Mm-hmm. Do you, like, what else might we do? Let's, let's whiteboard this. Let's just greensfield this. Let's pretend this is anew. What might we do? And, and learn from yesterday's lessons to build something different, hopefully better for tomorrow. Not just for the sake of change, right. but for the, in, you know, the inclusion of curiosity, as you've mentioned. Absolutely. And I find that requires, um, like lifelong learning, the intention and the time, the pause, right? More leaders and their teams need to, if they're not naturally as part of their culture, pausing to reflect, it needs to be scheduled, you know, as part of your meetings almost, right? To to pause and, and reflect and share learning with each other or even ask questions that we otherwise may not ask in our, in our everyday. Um, so when we get back, we're going to dive into a few more lessons with Dan. So stay tuned. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Would you like a complimentary strategy session with Leading on Purpose host Nicole Bendeley? Nicole and her team have been making it possible for leaders to achieve exceptional results with ease for over 40 years. Nicole will help you to discover what's getting in your team's way from even better results and will share with you the simple practices that will make a big difference to your performance and theirs. Visit kand.co slash strategy and book your session with Nicole today. That's kand.co slash strategy. 
Leading a team today can be hard, but it doesn't have to be a struggle. With Kenco's self-paced e-course, leading high-performance teams, you'll gain everything you need to build the cohesion, communication, and engagement needed for your team to thrive. Right now, save 30% off the e-course. Plus, Nicole, host of Leading on Purpose, is including two coaching sessions with her at no extra charge. Use promo code VA30 when you visit kand.co slash ecourse. That's promo code VA30. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Find out more about Nicole and her company, K&Co, and check out her suite of leadership tools and resources at kand.co. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. All right. So before break, Dan and I were exploring um, the need to be curious, and, and being curious is one of the, the nine you know, really important lessons and, and strategies from from Dan's book, Lead, Care, Win. And when we're curious, oftentimes that will lead to change, right? Which, and embracing changes is another one of the lessons. And so, and this year obviously has been all about change and a lot of unwanted, unwanted change. And so I'm curious, Dan, what are your thoughts around, you know, helping, what do leaders need to do to help themselves, lead themselves, and help others to embrace change that they either don't agree with, right, which happens a lot in organizations, uh, don't especially want it or didn't expect it. So what does embracing change really look like? And what are some things leaders can do to help themselves be more comfortable with it? Yeah, um, the the inclusion of a behavior called embrace change uh, right after, in fact, uh, remaining curious was to sort of provide a bit of a yin yang mm. that when one continues that notion of becoming and being a lifelong learner, you have to quickly then recognize the twin sister of how life is a pathway of broken down apple carts and you have to figure out how to put the apples back into a new structure, maybe a new wheelbarrow that you have to come up with amongst the team, et cetera. Like there, there are curveballs, there are bumps, Mm -hmm. there are pandemics, there is change. So a get over it. Um, there's, it's, it's going to happen. Your company may be acquired. Uh, there may be a new hire that you didn't agree with. Uh, you might lose a parent. Uh, there's just like every day is a change. The pandemic mm-hmm. is is an example of of a magnitude of change that we're all in. And I loved what you said earlier, by the way, because um, it reminded me of a, a, another point, which was the pandemic shows that we're all in the ocean together. We're just sailing different ships, mm. but we're all trying to navigate the waters. Uh, and the change is trying to figure out, well, when does this end? How does it end? <laughs> What does it look like post-end? But that's all the, the considerations of change. So if anything, I've been looking at leaders and organizations that have been using the pandemic as a period of, of um, ultimate change. What might we do differently? Mm-hmm. And so I think those are the ones that I, 
I glom onto and I look up to because those leaders and organizations are saying, yep, either we weren't very good at it before, i.e. change, but we're going to do something about it now. So I love that. So it's the recognition point. But then it's kind of like, well, what tactics do you use when you've recognized that there is change and we're going to do something about this? Well, you know, just simple things like um, in the moment of change, like the pandemic, like an organization trying to deal with the pandemic, there are going to be uh, whoopsies, Mm. you know, mistakes. So what are we doing as leaders to A, learn from the mistake, B, um, not berate and, and sort of make fun of or accuse a team member for making the mistake. Uh, and then what do yeah. we do about it? Yeah. So I, I, again, I start with this and it's quite simple. Change is going to happen. So now what do we do as an organization, as a team, as a leader to invest in the change to do something mm-hmm. positive and take something positive out of it. Far too often, we let change happen to us and we react yep. poorly. When we're proactive, which is why I go back to the Remain Curious lesson, lesson mm-hmm. number four, going into lesson five, embracing change. When we're proactive, I mean, you can't plan for a pandemic. Well, I guess you could, but you know, you're not going to, to the de- depths of change management that I think we all know that we should have had before. Yeah. But but uh, when you're proactive and thinking about, well, what, what might we tinker? What, what lessons can you pluck from yesterday? Whether it's the pandemic of 1918 or the acquisition from two years ago, what can we learn and how can we apply that to be positive moving forward? Absolutely. And, and when you have teams that are used to working in an environment that is adaptable and looks for not change, like you said, for change's sake, but mm-hmm. is curious, then when massive change gets thrown at them, they're more able and ready to flex and move where the wave might take them, but then they can steer their own course totally. um, better, right? Yeah. And what's resonating with me right now, Dan, is are these elements, these, these, these nine um, lessons, they're interrelated. In order to lead others, right, through change, you need to be relatable. <laughs> you, you need to have that trust and those relationships to get through it together. You need to be curious about other people and about the change. And all of these things come into, all of these lessons seem to come into play together. Well, you have touched on something that uh, not many have. So I want to give you public kudos and props, Nicole. Well, thank you. You are calling these lessons. Now, it's a book. One would expect that uh, we would be talking about chapter four and five right now. They're mm-hmm. not chapters. They're not sequential. Mm-hmm. I just had to call them something. They had to have a number, but they aren't sequential. So, and, and one of the diagrams, well, the only diagram I suppose I use in the book is actually a, a circle. And it's, it's like a pie graph of the nine lessons. They're all interrelated. Right. And, and you might be excellent at, you know, your um, embracing change quotient. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. But you may need some help on your commitment to balance, less than eight, or how you might champion others, less than nine. And so that's okay. I mean, I know mm-hmm. I, have, uh, I have inferior levels of uh, behavior on certain levels of, uh, on certain lessons, sorry. And, and that's okay, I'm working on those. My commitment to balance lesson is, is my most egregious, I would argue. So I continue to work on lesson eight for me. Mm-hmm. But that might be someone else's like um, number one, 
quality and behavior as a leader. Right. So they might need some help somewhere else in the, in the book of lessons, if you will. Yeah, I love that because it can be overwhelming to 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 look at you know um, you know nine lessons kind of things. Say, oh my gosh, I need to be really great at all of these. And you're likely leaders are going at like you have identified already have a number of great strengths and looking at them from the perspective of what is most important to me right now? What will make the biggest difference to me right now in my life, in my career, to those who, those I serve and um, uh, choose one place to start as opposed Mm -hmm. to mastering everything. Um, And I'm wondering too, along those lines, um, in, in our, we have a, a team, a team performance model. Um, and at the heart of it is a healthy climate and they're all interrelated, but the health of a team's climate, you know, the psychological safety, the trust, the respect without that, a leader and team can't begin to strengthen the other elements. Mm-hmm. So is there one of these lessons that really is, uh, essential to be able to strengthen any of the others? I think it probably, and and subliminally, I think that's why I end the book with uh, champion others. And so, you know, that is the age old question of selfish versus selflessness. Mm. Uh, It's the question of what am I doing? Uh, It it extends lesson one of being relatable. That's you being a human being to what am I doing to then get, get into the psyche and the, the sense of self of others. And what can I do to help? Like, am I being civil? Do mm. I recognize them? Do I, as I say, do you hold the door? And when you're, when you, when we used to walk into buildings, when, yeah, <laughs> yeah, when, when, when you're uh, in a building, let's say, and do you just open the door and not look behind to see if someone's coming? Like, just I know that sounds simple, and it's also a metaphor. But what are we doing to look behind to say, hey, mm. do you need any help? Uh, offering up the advice, offering up the the intellect that you've learned from a conference online. Hey, Nicole, I was thinking about you. Uh, here's a great TED talk, which, you know, it's, it's yours. I, I was just thinking like that championing other quotient, I think will allow you to um, wear a tattoo of giving that then can help you potentially uh, with the other eight lessons that are found in the, in the book. And that, that championing of others helps to really build trust. There was a there's a, a model that defines trust that I came across a number of years ago by, I think the gentleman's name is Bernard Shaw, but um, it basically states that we build trust um, when we do three things: when we we achieve results, right? We've got the skills, we were we've got the technical skills, what have you. We're we're doing our job. When we demonstrate integrity, mm-hmm. right? And when we show we care. And, and one of the ways we show we care, there's many ways, but we show we care when we champion others, right? We show we care when we take an interest in other people and, and, and build meaningful relationships. We show we care when we coach, right? When we give feedback, all of, all of those great things. So I love that, that you highlighted championing others as sort of that, that lesson that underscores um, the importance of all of the other ones as well, because it is about um, serving others and, and lifting other people up. Um, so, so Dan, if, if what's your hope for our listeners, if you want to leave them, you know, with one, one thing or one wish or one takeaway, 
as they go, as we all go into 2021, what would that be? One of the most important aspects going into 2021 is, is to stop and reflect on what you might do to, to help that friend, that neighbor, mm-hmm. that colleague. Just the one small act. Um, and again, I'm, I'm thinking from a leading self perspective. So um, benevolence, as fancy a word as it is, is, is not um, a crime. Benevolence is the act of giving. So if you mm. might contemplate how you might give, you know, your, your heart, your head and your hands um, to, to someone that just needs it, whatever it is, that could be, you know, a, a contact, that could be an introduction, that could be a thank you, that could be a gift basket, that could be a learning nugget, that could be, can I, can I offer you something in the new year? Like, whatever it is, I think that care of others and start with one and then build mm-hmm. from there will a make you feel great um great oxytocin is going to erupt when you start giving right and it may even you know decrease the cortisol that's running through your body from the stressful situation that is a pandemic so let's do that nicole i think that's um, a wonderful gesture and a, a pretty humane thing to do Thank you, Dan. I love that. I'm going to I'm going to take that to heart and and carry that forward. And and you know, if if I don't know too, I'm going to step outside of my comfort zone and ask and ask. You know, what do you need? How can I help? Um, and uh, we did that with our our class, our our kids' schools, right? Our our kids' um, classrooms, where yeah. we asked each of the teachers, you know, what is it that you need? If there's one thing you need for the classroom, what could that be? And, and that's how, that's how we started. And so sometimes we don't know, but you know what? Ask. That's ask. exactly it. Good and for ask you. ask your kids what they <laughs> think they can do. Ask your family, have this as part of your dinner discussion tonight, right? What can we do to make a difference? So I love that you shared that, Dan. Thank you. I'm going to take that to heart. And that's going to be at our dinner table tonight uh, with my kids and, and ask them how they think that they can help. And so to... Dan, thank you so much. I I can talk to you all day long and then some. And I so appreciate you for sharing your your insights and and your advice and strategies with us today. So truly, thank you. I I thought this was going to be a six-hour episode, but unfortunately... (laughs) Time flew. Tempest Fuji in Latin. There you are. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) My pleasure. And then to everybody else, again, I wish you the happiest, um, healthiest, safest of holidays this season. And uh, to you and your families, take great care. And we'll talk to you soon. All the best. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in again for another edition of Leading on Purpose with your host, Nicole Bendeley, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a wonderful week.